Hello everyone. Um, so today's reading is from um, the book of 1 John, starting from verse 1, and we'll be reading to 1 John 2 verse 1. And you can find that in the Blue Bibles on page 1228, or you can follow along behind me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now let's uh, let's, uh, get into 1 John together. It's a great book. And it's a little bit unique. I don't know whether you've ever read one, John, uh, before. But think about this book. Is it's kind of like a, it kind of goes in circles. John says something, and then he goes around, and then you find yourself back there again, and he brings up, and there's all these ideas. It's a very clever, thought out, uh, written book. But it's not like a lot of the other New Testament letters, where it's kind of a logical ar- argument, step by step by step. John likes to be a bit more, uh, circular. And so I'm going to jump all around as we go through today, but you'll see everything we're thinking about hinges on two ideas. And I would love you to take on board these two ideas about who God is today. And if you can take these two ideas on board, I think it'll help you see why God wants you to be influenced by him. Now, speaking of being influenced, um, has anyone heard of, experienced the whole kind of social media influences craze? Does anyone know what I'm talking about when, when I talk about um, influences? Give me a nod or a, a no if you don't know what I'm talking about because it's helped me. Over the last year, there has been $5 billion by marketers given to people to influence others to sell, to buy their products on social media. So, for example, on Instagram, um, are any of you on Instagram? 
I'm not. I don't, I don't do social media. But so, some of you know what I'm talking about. I, on Instagram, people who uh, think that they have a right to tell you to get buy something are given lots and lots of money so that you will think, oh, I'd like that. And they're, they're called influencers. And this is a marketing strategy that is so popular and a lot more emphasis is put on it because it's connecting with people. And you see someone who you like, whether it's a celebrity, whether it's someone who's an expert in the industry, whether it's a sports person, and you give them lots of money because us humans like to be influenced by people we want to be like or people we admire or something like that. And so it works. That's why companies are spending $5 billion on it. This whole influencers thing is massive. Uh, you may, one way to give you an idea if you're not aware of it, you might have seen the uh, Uber Eats ads with, um, um, what's the girl, the netball, Kath and Kim? And Kim Kardashian. And so Kim Kardashian, what is she doing talking about netball on uh, Australian television when she wouldn't care about netball, would never have heard about it? It's because she's like the ultimate Uber, Uber influencer. She would have been given millions of dollars by Uber to to talk about us buying food through Uber Eats. She's an influencer. It works. We're influenced by people. But God wants us not to be influenced by people that are vain and, and conceited or impressive and interesting or talented. He wants us to be influenced by him. And if we're going to be influenced by God, it'd be good to know what God is like. And that is where, in my reflections over 1 John, I really come to, to appreciate that what uh, John is doing in 1 John is helping us see that God is two things, is the way I think we can see he's framing a lot of this letter. And I want us to see these two things and then we will finish by thinking about how should we be influenced by them and by who God is. What does that look like for you and I? So I hope you find this helpful today as we kind of uh, muse through uh, uh, 1 John. The first uh, idea is that God is light. You might have heard of that before. But in 1 John, he says that very uh, very clearly. He says in 1 John chapter 1, we had this read uh, for us by Shannon in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. So when there's light and darkness, when it comes to God, we talk in absolutes. God is 100% light. Not 99.9 with a little bit of darkness on the side. Not mostly light and a little bit of dark or a bit of grey. He is, see what it says there? This is at the heart of who God is. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. There is no grey. How many things in our life are grey? So many of our movies are about, are the characters good people or bad people? And the tension is, are they, aren't they? I've seen uh, Star Wars maybe three times, 
already. And the whole tension is, is Ben Skywalker, Kylo Ren, Darth Vader, number two, is he good? Can he be good? But it's grey as grey can get because he has done some wicked things, but does he want to turn to being good? That is not God. God is light. What does light do? It's not necessarily a rhetorical question here, if you want to yell it out to me. What does light do when there's darkness? Anyone want to... Sorry, Colin? Obvious science there, right? It gets rid of the darkness. Light is light. It shines. It shows. It gets rid of the darkness. When you put a light in a room, it's not fully dark the way it was before, is it? Because light shines. God is light. This idea of God being light, another way the Bible often talks about God in this way, is that he's holy. That he is other to us. He's so different to us. He is so just out of our realms of understanding how big and different he is to us. He is completely unique. He is holy. He is all light. We are not always all light, are we? The contrast is clear. So in 1 John, he talks a lot about that. God is light, you guys are not. When we are at Grove, when we share the Lord's Supper together, we want to always acknowledge that we, the Lord's Supper is about Jesus dying for us and we're remembering that. And he does that because we have a problem, that we're not light, that we sin. We often read 1 John 1.8. He says in 1 John 1.8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. God is all light, all holy, you and I, whether we're a good person or not, and let's just say, let's just go with where all, all of us here are good people in our own terms, but related to God, we've got massive problems. We're not good all the time, even if we can figure out what that means. We, we turn away from him, we reject him, we do things that displease God. And so we can't say that we are perfectly good. That would be absurd. Because we are not God who is light. See, the big takeaway of God being light all the time is that he is always good. He is always good. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, it would be a theme, if you were looking out for it, you would see. And when we did the Bible in a year a couple of years ago, those who are regulars, maybe you saw that. From the beginning, we see a good God who creates the world and throughout, we see his goodness. The Psalms sing the praises of God who is good. God is light, is part one of how he influences us. So hold that there. How does that change you and me? Because before we get to how it influences us, I want us to see the other big idea that John keeps on circling around in, uh, in this letter. That is, the second thing God is, God is love. God, at his very core, is a loving God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we read, 
Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. See, what is God like? I don't know how you think of God. Whether you have all these different perceptions of him and whether they're they're true or whether they're not, the overarching idea of who God is, the theme that shapes all of his character is that he is love. You see where love comes from? God. It doesn't come from something other than him. The best of humanity and the best of love is a God characteristic. God is love. Consider how he sees us then. If he is love, 1 John 3, one of my favourite verses in all of the Bible, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. For those who have turned to him, who trust in him, he describes his love as lavishing. It is there for all. God's love is not something that just is a touchy-feely emotional thing where we can just give hugs to each other, write nice sentiments and cards and say how much I love you and how much uh, you love me and all of those nice things which are good. God does say he loves us, just like that verse. It's deeper than that. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. And what John does in... It kind of oozes throughout the whole uh, letter is that he doesn't want to define love for you. He doesn't want to say, now let's get out a dictionary and have a look at a definition of love and from that you'll understand now what love is. He wants you to see it. He wants you to see that God's love, his very character, is an action. That it is shaped by what he's done. Have a look at verse uh, 9 of chapter 4. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or, uh, as we had read in, in, in 1 John, in chapter 2, My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. God's light, so don't sin, he's saying. But I know you will. If anybody does sin, he goes on to say, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only uh, for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. A few weeks ago, uh, when Paul Harrington was here and he was talking about love specifically, he talked about how uh, God's love of being an atoning sacrifice is actually a love which means his anger, his wrath, is turned away from us. Propitiation is a fancy word that we should use just because it's a big word. We use lots of other big words. Propitiation just means God, a wrath turned away. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yes? Someone's anger is no longer uh, being projected onto you. No longer angry. It's turned away. 
That is what the, the chapter 2, and it's saying he's an atoning sacrifice for our sins, is actually saying. God's wrath is turned away. He loves you so much, even though you are so not like him. Even though you do the things that he doesn't want you to do, he's going to deal with his wrath, his right, good wrath, by dying for us, in our place. That's what Jesus did. God's love is sacrificial. It is atoning. It is wrath turning away. It is other person centered. It is about not me getting everything I need for me. It is about me giving of myself for the other. And so now we have this picture that I've quickly given us a summary of Uh, what John goes into. God is light. God is love. How do these things influence you and I? What do you think? How do these things shape who we are? It's not like on social media where you see someone holding a can of soft drink and saying, I recommend this product because they've given me lots of money. Oh, I'm influenced by that. I'm going to buy that now. No, no. This is something in the core. This is where we are influenced by who God is because he wants us to be like him. You see, God wants us to be light and loving like him. He wants us to walk. He literally wants us, the image of walking, the image of walking in your life day by day is to walk in the light. That is what we are to live like. But the problem is, we can't. John, there's this kind of tension. He says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with God, a relationship with God, if you like, uh, with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie, do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But we can't, because you and I know that we keep on doing the wrong thing. So how is it that God wants us to walk in the light, and yet we know that we constantly go back the other way and walk in the darkness? Is it possible? Or are we caught in this grey no man's land? No. You see, in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, the reason we can actually walk in the light is because God changes us. He cleanses us from our darkness through the blood of Jesus. In verse 7, walk in the light and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. God is light and he is transforming you, if you trust in him, to be more light-like, like him. Because in eternity, that is where we're heading. So how does that influence us? Well, it's not therefore we go now, okay, give me a list of rules and I must do them because that's what walking in the light is. I need to go back to the law and just follow the law of the Old Testament or the new rules in the New Testament because I've got to walk in the light. 
it's a, it's a total change of mindset. It's we want what God wants. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. We want to walk that way. See, when you walk, what are you doing? You're actually going somewhere. Um, unless you, has anyone ever tried those VR goggles and you walk around and you, and, you, and you see a new world or something like that? When you do that, you're supposed to walk like this because you've got the goggles on and you're not going anywhere because you're doing it in the virtual reality world. That is not what walking in the light is like. You actually are going somewhere in the real world. You're walking God's way because you want to. So what does John say? If God tells you something, you want to obey it. So you do want to obey his commands. You do want to follow his way. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, it's a great little example for us to kind of build into, the, into us that way of walking in the light. Have a look at verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. You see, he's saying you can't say you're walking in the light while you're walking in hatred. Because walking in the light is to walk in love. Can you see the difference? So you're saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't say you love God and hate people. Tear that out of your heart. And so he says, just before that, he says, I'm not writing uh, you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. I, I want you... So, verse 8, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you in him because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Obey God's way. Do not love the world, he goes on to say in verse 15 of chapter 2. The only way we can walk in the light is because God has first loved us. If you think that you can be a good person and forget the God bit saving you, well, it may look like you're walking in the light. What John is actually saying is that you're in darkness. That's quite shocking, isn't it? You could look like a great person. You could do all these great deeds for the people around you. You could be kind. You could be all these things, but you won't do it perfectly. And the reality is you're in darkness because you've rejected God. God first loved us and we respond to that. God could have been perfectly in the light and rejected our light-hating ways. But he's a God of love and so he saves us. His love saves us. His love, through the death of Jesus, who deals with our sin, makes it possible for us to be new people. And so I want you today to go away being convicted that I walk in a different way. 
The way you walk is the way God wants. The way you walk is by being more like him. And so, if you're wondering where you are before God, what you can take away today is, do I think God is like this? If I, if I do, I'm being called today to realise I need to trust in him. That I need to respond acknowledging that I've done wrong and now my life is just responding to that and walking in the light. Not to earn his favour, but in response. That is why our series over the next four weeks is going to be great, where real satisfaction is found, because we often try and find our, our walking in our pleasures. We often try and find our walking in our relationships. We often try and find our walking in our money, or just in having life easy, just being simple, as if life can be. Why don't you today spend time reflecting on and asking God to help you to be more light-like? How do we let God influence us? Well, we need to be loving, loving God and one another. The emphasis of loving one another is so strong in 1 John, he says love one another before he gets to God is love in the letter. In John chapter 4, verse 11, we read, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Our job, our passion, is to work at that. When we get it wrong, we do the thing that God never has to do, repent, to ask for forgiveness. But that's part of how we love, because we're still this side of heaven, still get it wrong. We think about being more sacrificial. We lay down our lives for people. Maybe not through our actual death, but by being living sacrifices. That's why in 1 John 3.18 he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. See, love is a thing that you live out, that you do. If you love Jesus and you just say it, you don't love Jesus. Does that make sense? If you love Jesus and all you do is say it, but you don't live it out in your word, in your actions as well as your words, then you don't love Jesus. How loving are you as a person? We're all made very differently. I reckon that's a fairly obvious statement, right? Just by looking at you, we're all different, okay? We, we, we're not all exactly the same, but actually, actually, we're different in, in our makeups. We love differently. We, we, some of us find it more natural to be really sacrificial and some of us find it like we need all the adulation in the world when we do anything nice for someone. 
wherever you are in the spectrum, a spectrum of loving people, the call of the Christian life is to grow into loving more. Whether you're the kind of person who you don't feel the need to be desperately loved by others, that doesn't get you off the hook to actually being loving towards others. If you're the kind of person who craves uh, care, that doesn't get you off, off the hook of actually needing to love and care for others. See what I'm saying? Whatever type of person you are, the call is is to be more sacrificial, to be more loving. When I married Jen, I didn't stipulate, I will love you in these ways at these times. But outside of those bounds, that's it. Okay? That, that's not how a marriage should work. Okay? And if you're planning on doing that, anyone who's, who's not married, that, that's a bad move. Because it should, not, it should have no bounds. No matter what the other person does, there may need to be great uh, uh, heartache and fellowship uh, and uh, relationship restoring. The call to love is always there. It may have to change. But the call to love in relationships is never thrown away. Because God loved us when we are his enemies, as Paul says. God's love is what saves you and me. We walk in the light with renewed sense of duty. We walk in the light with a renewed sense of loving him intimately and loving the people around us. Uh, for those of you who come to grow, that is your job, especially over the next couple of months, to love the people here, to love them, not seeking your needs, They'll seek yours. You seek theirs. You do it together. Why was John then so desperate to talk about God being life and love as we finish up? Well, I think it's because he wants to influence you so dramatically you have great assurance of your relationship with him. That because he is light, because he is loving, and you get to live in that way, you have great confidence and assurance that you are saved by him. I didn't just come up with that conclusion after reflecting on it over ages and and coming uh, to some kind of theory. John says it at the end of his letter. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wrote this letter so that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the chosen one who has died for your sins, if you believe that he has saved you, that you have just respond by trusting in him, if you have done that, He wants you to know there is no ifs or buts. You have life with God forever. What a great, great encouragement that is. See verse 13 again. 
that you may know that you have eternal life. Over this year, in 2020, every single one of us who love Jesus will have a time when you're, you, you, you'll get a niggle of, does God really love me? Am I really saved? Is there a moment where you let that fester and foster? Because it's the tragedy when people do and it turns them away from God. But if we come back to 1 John and remember God is perfectly good and perfectly light and he loves me so much that Jesus, creator of all things, would come into the world and die for us, that deals with those moments well, doesn't it? He is our guarantee of salvation. You do not save yourself. God saves us because he is light and love. Let's praise him because of that this, uh, this summer. Let me pray as we wrap up. Heavenly Father, we pray that we will always remember that you are a God of light and a God of love. Help us to walk in the light, to love you and to love others, having great assurance that you have given us eternal life. Amen.